0: So today we're talking about our identity in Christ, and this is so exciting because Jesus actually had a lot to say. As you've been looking over your notes, you probably just got a really good summary over over just the amazing parallels between who he is and who he has said that we are, which makes sense because we were created in the image of God, right? And then we're born into his family, and so we're meant to look like him, reflect him, Share his character and what he looks like with the world. So we're just going to touch on a few things that he said in the Gospels, and it gives you a lot, hopefully, like he did in these visual ways um, to kind of process who he says we are. And then hopefully you can think about it more and study it more after today because I know your brains have got to be completely full. So I want to pray um, and... Ask God just to give you room to receive whatever it is that he wants to um, tell you today. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the chance that we have to know you, God. And thank you for knowing each and every one of us so intimately. And thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for your sacrifice for us, God. Thank you for the purpose that you've given us in the world and um, just the eyes that you've given us to see the beauty in everything, Lord, and the hearts to understand so much um, and that you can just keep expanding our hearts the way that you do, Lord, to love more and more, to receive more and more of your love, God. We just pray for that multiplication to just happen in us today, God, with your word and ask for your Holy Spirit's blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing is that we know Satan wants to attack our identity. All of us have had um, Satan attack our identity at one time or another. Um, I have had him convince me that I'm worthless and disposable, also, convince me at different times that I was unappreciated and unrespected, you know, with my pride. And um, I've compared myself with other people instead of with the Lord. Um, place my identity on my skills or my experiences or my opportunities instead of on the Lord. And the Lord is like, use so many circumstances and so much from his word to just chip away, 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 you know, till it gets down to you are loved and you are love. It's that simple. And it's like multifaceted in a million ways, but his love is defined you know a little differently than ours and that's the first thing i want to say to you guys is that when jesus prayed for our unity he said i pray that they would be one even as we are one he's talking to the father that the world would believe that you sent me and that they would know that you love them just as you love me this is huge because did god's love for jesus protect him from suffering Did God's love for Jesus protect him from temptation or did it submit him to those things? It's intense, isn't it? So we have to redefine real quick what love is and remember that love includes, that true love includes being, being exposed to temptation, to suffering, to sacrifice, to betrayal, to misunderstanding. And that is part of God's love for us. That's not in contrast to God's love for us, it's because the way of the cross leads to a cross and not to a bank of flowers. Right? That's a quote from Amy Carmichael that stuck with me for years and years to remember. Like if I'm seeking after pleasure and ease and comfort and recognition or admiration or appreciation, I am not seeking the way of Christ. So it's huge So we want to start off just right there. Like all of these identities are rooted in love, but love is not what we see in the movies, you know? So it's a lot harder. There's a lot more tears. There's a lot more pain. And it is so much more beautiful than what we normally experience and normally practice, you know? So we are so conditional in our love, and the Lord is so unconditional in his The first scripture that the Holy Spirit brought to my mind when Rob gave me the um, title of the breakout, which I cracked up at first because I was like, did he just pick this title because I sing this song all the time? I am who you say I am. (laughs) But I don't know why he picked it, but I'm so thankful that he did. Because I would never really thought through like so specifically who did Jesus say that I am? Jesus, you know? And the first the first scripture was that the disciple is not greater than his Lord. It is enough that the servant, servant be as his Lord. So that verse helped me to start looking for all those parallels because Jesus pointed out first. It's enough that you be as your Lord. Don't expect better treatment than Jesus got. Don't expect a cushier life than Jesus had be looking for the the way of Christ okay so our first identity is I'm a servant the origin of this is our suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53 where Jesus is told we're we're told that Jesus would provide the ultimate service taking the burden of our griefs our sorrows and our sins and putting it upon himself that is the ultimate act of service right we, say, we see it played out in the Gospels in many, many small ways of him bearing with his disciples as they c- talk about who's going to be the greatest. And he says, how long do I have to stay with you guys? <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and when he b- goes and puts on the towel and washes his disciples' feet, he says, I've given you an example you should do just as I have done for you. I tell you the psalm truth, the slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So he's saying, you know, will you embrace the dirty, the low, the unwanted jobs to love one another the way that I've loved you? He said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He then also said, the greatest among you will be your servant. So you know that when you're doing those things that nobody appreciates, nobody's thanking you for, whether it be with your kids or at your job, or just the little things that God has led you to do, um, those are so honorable to the Lord. He respects that. So this is what the Lord respects, being a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's a promise from Jesus. So that's pretty cool. Um, We have to watch out because it's an age of self kind of promotion, you know, through social media and stuff like that. And so that's just something to keep in check with what Jesus said, like don't exalt yourself. Um, There's a scripture that says uh, something about anybody can say good things about themselves, but a faithful man who can find. So just content yourself with being faithful and doing what you do as unto the Lord, not unto men. So real quick, think through for yourself. We all have obstacles to being a true servant what are the obstacles for you? Is it the pursuit of happiness, which is part of our constitution? You know, we're searching for happiness, pleasure, comfort, a certain lifestyle. Is that an obstacle to serving? Are you expecting to live on a certain income? Um, so that, you know, if you, that's why you can't do the certain volunteer thing. You know what I mean? Can you cut back on that so that you can serve? Um, Is it a fear or an insecurity that maybe you won't be good enough or that um, you're going to fail? A certain person. Some people, like, get so annoyed at a certain person that that will keep them away from serving them or participating in something that would benefit that person. A certain level of business or stress. And then a huge stumbling block to being a true servant of God is the love of money, possessions, or lifestyle, which I just mentioned. But Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve God and money. So we have to be aware, like this is a huge obstacle to really having a servant's heart is loving what we have or what we could have. And, and pursuing after that instead of pursuing um, the way of a servant. Um. Watch out for the need to be needed because once you do start serving, a lot of times Satan will creep in there and, you know, you'll make you find your identity and be, being needed. So watch out for that. Keep your services unto the Lord. Um, and especially like watch out for the, the need to be recognized. So Christ is the ultimate example in this because how many people every day do not give him credit for their life, their breath, the way he's providing for us, the way he's keeping the air, you know, going, the weather working, the us sticking to the earth, you know. (laughs) It's like all these little things that we aren't thankful for, you know, as we should be. Don't give him credit for And then especially for the cross, how quickly we can take advantage of the cross and keep going back to the sins that we already know that he died for and everything. Um. Jesus warned us, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So that's his big warnings is like, watch out for loving money. Watch out for doing what you do to be seen by people. And later we'll talk about how Jesus is the light of the world and we're the light of the world. So it seems like a contradiction. Don't do what you do to be seen of men. Let your light so shine before men that they may see. So it's all just in the heart motivation. Are you wanting people to see, or are you just doing what you do is unto the Lord, and when people see, it glorifies God? Does that make sense? All right. Let's, this is very cheesy, but I'm a cheesy person. So let's all say, I am a servant. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Next, we've got... Um, I'm looking at the wrong paper. A true friend. So Jesus is our true friend. He was called the friend of sinners, right? He was willing to hang out with anybody. And people gave him a lot of flack for that. And he's willing to be in our lives. He offers us his presence without, like, saying, you have to measure up to this or that or whatever, whatever. And he offers us that friendship. But when he um, talked about friendship with his disciples in John 15, He said, you are my friends if you keep on doing what I've commanded you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends because I've revealed to you everything I've heard from my father. And right before that, he tells you what his command is. In verse 12, he says, this is my command, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. Isn't that cool? So he says, you're my friends if... You love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. I love that. It is so beautiful. And it gives us plenty to do because seeking the best for other people gives you a lot to do right there. And it also realigns your purpose every day. You know, I'm not seeking what is best for me, I'm unselfishly seeking what is best for other people. And so God will, the Holy Spirit will lead you into what that looks like. And it's super beautiful. And this is what makes you a friend of Jesus. Because you start caring about what he cares about. The people that he died for. Right? It's pretty awesome. So this elevates our connection between our relationship with Christ and what we do with his words. What we do with his words defines our relationship with Christ. So it's super important that you know what Christ taught. What he exalted is very important. Some, just several things that, the, that is countercultural to the world. Do not lay up for yourself treasure on the earth, right? He specifically commanded that. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So this is a super hard command to follow. But God is so gracious and so merciful. He knows we're in America, right? And he will be proud of you for every small step you take in that direction to say, maybe I don't need this much in my savings account. Maybe I don't need this percentage of my budget to be on myself. Maybe I can rebalance this budget to to look more like I'm unselfishly seeking what's best for others. You know what I mean? It's really awesome um, that he like, gives us that command, but then he patiently will walk us through in following it. Another one that's huge in the Gospels is forgiveness. He talked so much about it, and it's the only thing that he said, if you do not forgive, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. The only thing he said that we would not be forgiven for is unforgiveness, and this is a huge deal right? When you're clinging to some bitterness to someone else, you cannot receive the forgiveness that God extends to you. And you have a huge block in your relationship with him. You have a huge, you are totally hiding your light there. Okay. This is a big deal. Um, so what, what, whoever is having sh- a struggle, cause I know it's a struggle. It can be one of the most painful things to let go of that anger of that hurt. For someone who has truly hurt you, or even worse sometimes, hurt someone that you love. But to truly forgive them, as the Lord has forgiven you, will allow his forgiveness to flood your life and to flood through your life. To show people what the love of God truly looks like. Super beautiful. When you have a party, invite the people who never get invited anywhere. This is another beautiful teaching of Jesus that shows his heart and is like not that commonly practiced. So, I was really thankful Sarah was talking about hospitality hospitality today because we have we have maybe a blind spot to that teaching of Jesus where he's like, invite the crippled and the main, basically disabled people, special needs people, the, the super awkward and socially, you know, avoidant people. Are you seeking after those people who also need to experience the unconditional love of Jesus? And it's a really fun, fun thing to do. Um, One thing that really prepared me for this is, uh, a few years ago, I can't remember really how long ago, but it was a while back where like I started seeing all these things where Jesus was equating himself with his words in John 15, where he says, abide in me and abide in my words. And, you know, so many things like that, where he's basically equating himself with his words. Um, and right here in the same passage too, you're my friends. If you do my commands, if you follow my commands, um, it's, it's, really a great study to just go through the gospels, write everything down that Jesus is telling people to do. Even if it's just the individual, you can learn from it. Even if it was specific to like an individual or specific to the disciples. But in general, that's just a great study to do because he said, whoever teaches one of the least of these disciples, like, or teaches people to disobey even one of the least of this, these commands is called least in the kingdom of heaven. So he's expressing strong disapproval over someone who would teach others to ignore one of the least of Jesus's commands. So you won't know that you're doing that unless you really know what Jesus' commands are. Does that make sense? The only way you can be consistent with Christ's teaching is to know them inside and out. So I really wanted to encourage you guys to study just Jesus' words and his imperative commands where he's commanding people to do stuff. So that's just a, um, a tip on seeking after being Jesus' friends. And we can't just say, I'm your friend because, you know, we, that would be saying, I'm doing everything you commanded me. But saying, I want to be your friend. And that's like a goal of mine. That's a, that's a desire of mine. I aspire to be your friend as you've been my friend. So let's say I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Awesome. Number three, the light of the world. This is a really quick one. Jesus addressed the crowd. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And we all know how it feels to be walking in the darkness and then to be walking in the light. And I don't know if you're walking in darkness or the light today, but I've had days in the last week where I was struggling with the darkness, just feeling so alone, feeling so overwhelmed with all the responsibilities and how I have to handle so many things by myself, seemingly. But the Lord is with me, you know? And just like that, keeping our face towards Christ is what lets his light of life flow through us and then shine out onto the world, like the moon. We're not like the sun or a star yet. Maybe in heaven we'll be like the stars. You know, it says in Daniel, the righteous will shine as the stars in the firmament. But right now we're more like the moon. We don't have any light of our own, but if we keep our face to the sun, we will reflect that light to the darkness in the world. It's beautiful. And Jesus warns us about this one too. He says, keep your eyes single lest the light that is in you become darkness. And if the light that is in you become darkness, how great is that darkness? This is a very strong warning against hypocrisy and a divided heart where we say, Jesus is enough for me, but we live like we need this or that or that person, you know? Where our heart is actually dependent on something other than Christ and that is where the light in, our, in us can become darkness and we can pollute that light. Um, I encourage you guys on your own time, circle or write down any culprits that trick you into hiding your face from Christ's light. So poor choices with our time can keep us from gazing upon Christ. Um, Insecurities, selfishness, where we just, we don't want to know what he wants us to do because we've got our hearts set on something else. Fear, the lie of alone, shame, or anything else that you can think of that that Satan uses to trick you and to keep in your face just beholding Christ so that you can reflect that light on the world. All right, say we are the light of the world. He told us we are. Number five is the branch. The branch is the evidence of God's love and character in the world. When I was going through like a pretty long season of depression, coping with a lot of my losses when I was getting um, licensed to be a foster parent. I was, I was like forced to go through all of the losses that I'd experienced in my life. And I'd never done that before. So it was a lot. It was a lot on me. And at the same time, I had no driver's license. My driver's license had been revoked for 14 months. So I was having to depend on people after being completely independent, living in New York, all this stuff for 10 years. All of a sudden I had to ask people for rides. I couldn't leave when I wanted to leave all these things. It was like a very humbling time in my life. And I just broken up with somebody. So it was a really perfect storm of Satan, like really attacking me with feeling lame and worthless and disposable and just lame is the best word for it honestly and I remember when God convicted me and was like look at me (laughs) look at me am I not enough for you and I realized like what I have to be grateful for is unseen the roots of my gratitude is the character of God that will never change he is faithful he is loving he is humble, he is sacrificial. These things will never go away. They're not dependent on my circumstances. They're not dependent on my situation in life. What I'm doing, what other people are doing, that is what I have to be thankful for. Then there's evidence of that character. The root or the the, the um, it's a root of David, he's called a branch in the Old Testament. Jesus is the manifestation of that character. We know he came. It's historically proven. He showed us what God's character looked like in the world. That humility, that love, that patience, that intolerance for religious hypocrisy, right? All that was evidence with Christ coming out of those roots under the ground. And then we're the branches. I'm, I'm also thankful for the Christians that God has sent in my life at different seasons, current, past, whatever, even in centuries past where I can read their autobiographies and see the faithfulness of the Lord in their lives. I can be thankful for those branches. Everything else is the fruit that comes and goes. Our circumstances, our feelings, you know, you can be, you can literally be faithful to Christ and not feel great. It's a truth, all right? And you can say, I don't care how I feel. I will honor him. He's worth my time. I'm gonna sit here and read my Bible even if I don't have those feelings that I used to have when I read. I'm gonna ask God why I don't and I can cry out to him and it's not gonna offend him but I will be faithful to him because those roots of my gratitude, they'll never go away and that proof of who God is can never be undone, Christ came. Christ has come. He has died. He is risen. Super awesome. So when Jesus turns around and says, you are the branch after he was prophesied to be the branch, this is huge. We're the evidence of God's love and character in the world. We're fulfilling the first command that God gave to mankind, be fruitful and multiply. Isn't that awesome? We're taking whatever God has given us those terrible experiences in our past, those terrible choices that we've made, that Satan wants to hang shame over our heads. And we're going to say, I'm going to take these and I'm going to multiply it for the glory of God. I'm going to tell people that I've struggled with this and encourage them and be there for them in their own struggle. I'm going to be fruitful and multiply by abiding in the vine. I'm going to abide in him. I'm going to abide in his words. I'm not going to become dependent upon something else. We're just in the jail with all these ladies that have experienced a lot of negative dependency, right? Dependent on very bad relationships. People who all they want them to do is use with them, right? Or buy them drugs or, or give them their urine so they can pass their urine sample for DSS. They've been dependent upon substances that wreak havoc upon their brain, their body, their relationships, their dreams, their hopes. Right? And if they come off of them, they suffer withdrawals, like really awful withdrawals, like the girl that I was telling you about at the beginning. And the Lord delivered her from those withdrawals. But when we come off of depending on God, we don't automatically start vomiting, right? But we can, if we take the time, we can recognize the symptoms. We can recognize our loss of patience, our loss of joy. We can recognize our pride coming back up. We can see that depression sneaking back in, right? We've got to depend on the Lord. We've got to abide in his word. Remain. It means just stay. Stay. Don't leave. Don't put your hopes on something else for a few hours to try to get some relief or some pleasure or some comfort or some rest. So think about for yourself, um... What else do I look to that, instead of Christ, that for rest, for joy, for comfort, for pleasure? And just really put up the guards against those things. Seek accountability. Um... Put habits in place so I don't know if you have like studied a lot about habit building but it's so important to whatever you want to be a huge part of your life just make it a habit so you don't have to consistently use up your limited amount of self-control every day trying to do it so if you can integrate it as like this is just what I do I, as soon as I wake up, I read the Bible. That's just what I do. I it doesn't care what, if I woke up late, I'm still going to do it. That's how big of a priority it is, right? Before I go to bed, I'm talking to the Lord. Implementing more frequent times of prayer in your day with things that happen every every single day where every every time I do this at my job or every as I walk here, I'm going to be praying or whatever. Daniel, you know, he did the three times a day going to his room. David, he talked about 12 times a day, um, praising God for whatever. And sometimes at midnight rising to praise God or whatever. He's so extreme. It's really great. Um, but like for me, a very simple thing that has helped me in the however long, I guess, 16 years I've been teaching music lessons, um, is I pray before every single lesson with my student. And that doesn't mean every single time has been a sweet time of prayer with me in the Lord, right? But it gives me the chance to have a sweet time of prayer with the Lord, because that's just what I do. Does that make sense? So if you can find something like that for you, where, whatever you have, like frequent, you know, things in your day where I'm like, this is just what I'm going to do. I'm going to either have these verses I'm gonna, that I've read on my voice memo and I can play it while I'm clean washing the dishes. I can hear those verses over my voice memo or listen to the Bible on the app or whatever. Um, and this can help you to become dependent, more dependent on the Lord. And it's um, going to, it'll, it'll really, really help if you can establish those habits. The little paper that I gave you guys with the really pretty picture, Amy Davis drew it or put it together isn't it really pretty with the flowers one of the jail ladies says it reminds me of an angel and I looked at it and I was like yeah I guess you could see an angel in there but that on the list on the side that tells you how long it takes to read each of those books aloud with a regular reading speed and it kind of just gives you a perspective check like ah it's not that hard she's like t- 12 minutes 20 minutes easy peasy Three minutes for Philemon or whatever it is. And you can actually, like, just force yourself and say, I'm going to conquer this or do this every month or whatever and just get tons of scripture in my heart, in my mind, cleansing me, renewing my mind, you know, teaching me the way to go. Okay? So that hopefully that's a blessing, you guys. She's going to put it on the resources uh, where you guys can download it if you want a better a better copy of it because that was like a little picture that I just stretched onto the page <laughs> all right number six and we're almost done our preserver Jesus said that we're the salt of the earth and salt back then was used to preserve food to keep it from decay um so back then they didn't have superhero references and now we do <laughs> So we don't need salt as much anymore to preserve our food. And we can think of like, okay, preventing moral and spiritual decay, I think superheroes. You know, they use their gifts to seek after justice and prevent the decay that's in their town or whatever. So when you, think, when you see salt, I want you to think superhero. And it's really funny. Do you see that the next picture, Bridget? I got my friend to draw it little salt with a superhero cape. She drew it for me last night. And um, that is our purpose. One of our purposes is to, to slow the moral and spiritual decay in the world, including that inside of ourselves. So that means we've got to put up a guard against that which would bring moral and spiritual decay. All right? So quick thing I forgot about the branch, a word on binge watching. Um, there... a doctor said that the neuronal pathways that cause heroin and sex addictions are the same as an addiction to binge watching. Your body does not discriminate against pleasure. It can become addicted to any activity or substance that consistently produces dopamine. So it's super interesting and just like important for us to acknowledge, like this is a problem in our society where people can spend so much time in with, with unfiltered intake, like, No discrimination is being used. No discernment is being used on the content because it's so commonly expected, accepted, right, to watch this show for this amount of time. And the whole Bible can be read out loud in 70 hours and 40 minutes. And yet so few people even read the Bible once per year, right? But they'll watch way more of that they'll spend way more time than that watching shows and movies and stuff. So just, like, a quick perspective shift of, like, what you're putting in your mind and what is building your, like, moral compass and your spiritual strength as opposed to what would be wearing it down and decaying it. So think about that with salt. Like, be salt in yourself, too, Like, prevent that moral and spiritual decay. Seek after that which is good and lovely and pure and right and all that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, If the salt has lost its purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people. So I thought it was super interesting as I was studying all these identities, how Jesus keeps giving us these warnings about how our identity can be compromised. Right? Our identity as a servant can be compromised by bad motives or by pride creeping in. Our identity as a branch can be compromised. When we stop bearing fruit, it says if you cease to bear fruit and be fruitful and multiply, take what you've got and make more of it, you'll be cut off and thrown into the fire. It's an extreme warning. Here it says that if you lose your purpose or your ability to prevent moral and spiritual decay, then you're good for nothing but to be thrown underfoot. This is a huge warning. So Jesus was not afraid to step on some toes, you know, and I'm thankful for it. I'm super, super thankful because I needed that reminder a lot. So think through some different superheroes, like what if instead of putting in the time, the effort to work for justice in his city, the money, Batman just hired a hitman to find who killed his parents and just enjoyed his inheritance. You wouldn't have any movies, right? You wouldn't have any movies. And you can think through all the superheroes like that. What if Spider-Man got bit by the radioactive spider, but then he never rescued or helped anybody? He just like used it to make money and do, do cool stuff and get famous, Right? And you see that, like, you see that enacted in so many ways. And I've had so many kids that, as I teach music, like, as I'm trying to steer them to using their gifts for the Lord, be like, oh, I want to be on American Idol. I'm like, no, that's not why God gave you your gift. It's not for you. Does that make sense? And our culture is just like brainwashing people into thinking that what you have it's for you you keep it you get to use it for you make money get famous get followers that is not what jesus taught ever it is to lay our life down it is to serve it is to give it is to glorify our father which is in heaven and it's so much more fulfilling than doing it for yourself can you guys say we're the salt of the earth All right. Our last one is that we are one. Jesus saved us not to do our own little thing or to bunch up into little groups and do our own little things. We're meant to be united, to be so perfectly united that we're as united as the Trinity. That's our origin story. The triune God. Who are three distinct personalities but serve one purpose without ever criticizing each other, without ever getting in each other's way. It's beautiful. The triune God. And we are one. Jesus' prayer for us that we would be one as He and the Father are one, so that the world would know that they are loved just as the Father loved them is one of our it's like that's our grand purpose right there. And that takes dying to ourselves, that takes bearing with one another in all of our differences, in personality, even in certain like little doctrines and stuff that aren't the crucial ones. like it's super important. Like, are you willing to support something that God cares about if a different church is organizing it? Are you willing to pray for churches and ministries that you're not a part of? Um, could you encourage or celebrate things that God is doing with other Christians that are not in your group? So it was like very convicting to me when Maddie was staying with me, helping me foster. We're like, we need to try to get more churches involved with pinwheel tutoring because we need more tutors so that we can reach as many kids as we possibly can. And as we're preparing to go and like meet with these pastors, we put this big dinner on for all these pastors from the community and stuff. We were like, we're, we're asking them to help us before we ever offer to help them. And so we were like, heart check, you know? And so we went to each of them and said, is there any way that we can support what your church is doing in the community? And it was this beautiful, like beginning to relationships with different churches in the community. And it was like totally from the Holy Spirit, because that is not what we set out to do. We set out to get them To help us, (laughs) you know, and God blessed it because we do have like at this point we've had people from like at least six different churches help with Pinwell, which is awesome because the more people that get involved, the more kids are brought out of isolation are given someone to look up to besides maybe their family who's on drugs or whatever, you know? Cuz we do have a lot of families that are struggling with different things and it's so good for them to have one person in their life that is outside of that outside of that culture cuz it's generational and the way like if you research how to prevent drug abuse, how to prevent sexual abuse because a lot of sexual abuse is just generation passed down because someone is so ashamed of what happened to them, they then perpetrate it on their own family members. It's so twisted, but it's super, I mean, it's very well documented that that's how it works. So the way that that can be combated is by someone from the outside coming into that family's life and being like, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I love you guys. Because if they know their kid might have someone to talk to about this, that they're not isolated, that they can't keep them from talking about it, the average time between someone being sexual abused and disclosure is 33 years. That should not be the case. There should be people that get into the picture before 33 years have gone by. Right? So that's where, like, in Pinwheel, we're like, this is an opportunity to become a part of all these different families' lives by one volunteer at a time. We've got teenagers, college students, moms, dads, single people, older people, and they might have no experience with education at all or no rapport with kids, but if they have a willing heart and they show up for that kid once a week for an hour and a half, they're making a huge difference and they could break generations of violence or abuse isn't that cool so that's where you see like unity is so huge because you might not think your part is that big to play but it is it is and you have unique experiences unique personality you have so much to give but if all you had to give was a willing heart and your love you can make a huge difference being salt light a servant a shepherd I skipped shepherd let's go back that's my favorite one So number four is he is our good shepherd, and then we'll wrap it up. It'll be nice and quick for you guys. (laughs) If you want to talk about anything, you can, or have questions about anything. Um, There, I literally love this so much. Um, Jesus talked about being our good shepherd. And anyone who was familiar with the Old Testament would have a ton of context about this. Because God was constantly condemning the bad shepherds to his people. Saying, like, those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them, nor protect them. Talking about these sheep. Where the shepherds are just caring about their own comfort, their own lifestyle. But the sheep that they're supposed to be protecting and feeding are just abandoned. Um, When I was in college, I was in college in California, and... I was driving to some job. I can't remember what it was. And I passed this huge field. There's a ton of sheep out there. And there was one little one, a little lamb, whose head was stuck in the fence. And I kept driving, and I thought to myself, oh, poor lamb. I'm sure the shepherd will get it out. Okay? I come back from my job, and all the sheep are gone except that little lamb. It's just hanging there, blood dripping down. And it had been abandoned. It hadn't been sought after. It hadn't been rescued. It was too late. And I'll never forget that vivid illustration of what someone's lack of effort can do. And it really got to me. And I I hope it made an impact on my life. I know it did, at least towards sheep, because. Years later, I was here, and I was going to some one of my students' houses, and there was a little goat stuck in the fence. Similar situation. And I pulled off the road. I got that goat out of the fence. It went bounding across this field in pure joy. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Take time out, see that person in need, and meet the need. Um, but But Jesus is in strict contrast to those bad shepherds. So instead of not caring for the perishing, not seeking the scattered, not taking the time to heal the broken, not taking time to even feed the healthy, he does all those things. He rescues the perishing, he seeks the scattered, he heals the broken, and he feeds the healthy. So those are all things that you guys have heard talked about this weekend going after the people who are dying. They're dying. In whatever it is, whatever sin that they're in, whatever social marginalization that they're trapped in and nobody cares about them, nobody's taking the time for them. Healing the broken, the people that Satan's holding their shame over their head, over whatever they did or whatever happened to them. Um, Seeking the scattered, maybe like the Christians who've lost their way. They were part of the fold, but they've wandered off. You know, Jesus takes the time to go after that one. And then feeding the healthy. We've got to encourage each other. Because Satan wants to take us out. Right? He wants to totally destroy whatever potential that we have to shine our light, to be salt, to serve other people. By whatever those culprits are for each one of us. We've got to encourage one one another. Even one person encouraging you can just pick you right back up. Right? And we were talking about this in the jail. How part of unity... Part of encouraging each other, feeding the healthy is, you know, being able to stop gossip, being able to stop people from criticizing, not ever taking part of criticizing. Like a very vivid illustration is say you've got a a bride and a groom up here and the bride has something on her dress. Would you come straight up to the bride and be like, girl, you got a mess going on here. You're not looking so great today in front of the groom. I should hope not, (laughs) you know, and whenever we're criticizing another person, we are doing that in the presence of Jesus, and he gave his life for that person, so we've got to watch it. he is not okay with that. And that is exactly like totally against unity, totally against encouraging each other, shepherding, that caring heart. It's totally in contrast to being a servant, all of that. Okay? So we've got to be able to encourage each other and say, "Stop. We don't need to talk about that person that way." It doesn't matter if it's true. It's not going to help them unless we go talk to them the biblical way. Go talk to them together, you know? Um there's a pro- even there's a prophecy where God says, "I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them." What did Jesus ask Peter after Peter denied him? He said, "Peter, do you love me?" And he said, "You know I love you, Lord." And what he say? Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And that is how we show our love for Jesus. That's so cool, right? And it's all tied together in 1 John Our love for one another is directly tied to if we love God. He says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you don't love God. You're a liar. Um, So we've got to see like we are shepherds, but we're going to be good ones or bad ones. We're going to either be tending and having compassion and seeking after and healing the broken and feeding the healthy, or we're going to be taking care of ourselves and leaving that sheep in the fence to die. Even if it wasn't directly our fault, if we don't do anything about it, it's still our fault. <laughs> so inaction is a sin. Omission is just as bad as commission. We've got to act. We have to obey. Um, Jesus equates truly loving him to feeding his lamb, shepherding his sheep, and feeding his sheep And he's talking to a fisherman. But Peter gets it and later instructs church leaders to shepherd God's flock, not to be fishers of men. He gets it. He's like, it's not just about getting the numbers in your church. It's about that patient, humble care day in and day out for the people that God has given to you. Can you say, I am a shepherd? It's awesome. So um, does anybody have any comments or like insights or reflections on anything that we talked about? You can have a minute i don't I don't care to wait. Mm-hmm. I love hearing what you guys have to say. Is there anything that stood out to anybody? Yes, yeah well um so fostering is something that the Lord has used to um definitely show me his heart for all you know the perishing and the loss and all that. Um, I've always had a heart for the kids who don't have a family. As soon as I got saved, God was like, I care so much about these kids that don't have any families to care for them. And I'm just a single woman. Like most people would be like, don't they need a mom and a dad? I'm like, well, it's a single woman with the Lord. That's better than having to be sent off to a group home where they have to leave their town, all that. Like in our county right now, we have over 80 kids in foster care, but only 15 foster homes. So it's just like a huge need, even in this tiny little space, and nine of the kids are waiting to be adopted, So in just in our county. So, like, God just said, go. He just said, go for it. And then through it, he's, like, revealed a lot of my selfishness. He's shown me so much about his patient love um, because a lot of the times, the kid, since I'm the only one there, I'm the only one they have to take things out on, and they have a lot of hurt. So it's been a hard journey for me, um, but I love it, and I'm thankful for it. And it's made me depend on the Lord a lot more. And then I've had a couple things where God, like, really showed me my motivations. One girl was in high school. It was her senior year. Her mom died of a drug-related heart um, infection when she was 15. And Social Security didn't tell me that she went to school 45 minutes away from my house. So I spent like the first couple weeks um, holding a grudge against them for those really early morning rides instead of being thankful that I had that time in the car with a girl whose mom died when she was 15. So God was like... You care a lot about your own comfort, you know, and he purified that. It was really good, and then after that, it was really beautiful time just to spend t- that time with her. And same thing with the kid that I have right now. Like, DSS couldn't like relicense me because my goat didn't have her rabies vaccine, and um, it was just this ridiculous like hoop. But they still asked me to keep a kid, which I was very happy to do. I just didn't know they really weren't going to help me with like any of the expenses. And so God like had to really like get through to me and say like, look how much you care that they're not helping you with expenses, (laughs) you know, and really convict me about that and say like, this kid is worth it. Whether I have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, this kid is worth it. Whether I use up my life savings on this kid, that's how much Jesus loves this kid. (laughs) So I'm really thankful that he put me in foster care because it's really broke me down and helped me to see how awesome he is. (laughs) It's really, really good. I love it. But that's like another thing where like, that's an opportunity to serve in your community. Even if you're not called to be a foster parent, you could support some of the people who are doing it and help them not to get so worn down because anytime anyone's ever helped me and just taken one of my kids off for like an hour or two where I can get a little rest because they don't have a playmate at my house. I don't have anyone else to help with the house stuff, you know? So it's just me and them, and I also work full-time. So if you can support anyone who is doing fostering like that, might have my situation or something like that, it's a huge deal. That makes a big impact on the kid because when I'm tired, it's harder for me to show him the love that he needs to see. You know what I mean? (laughs) But the Lord helps me a lot. It's super awesome. But... Yeah, the Lord just basically just told me to do it because he knew it was a need in my community before I did, which is so cool. So you guys will be amazed to see if you say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to be salt? And he tells you, just be prepared. Like, because of what we said about his love, it'll probably cost you something, right? Right. Let's pray real quick and then you guys can go. God, thank you for your example. Thank you for your teachings. Thank you for your love, Lord. We want to thank you specifically for every trial you've ever given us, every hardship you've ever allowed us to go through that helped us to depend on you more, that helped us to see our need of you more. Pray that we would encourage one another to lean in to the cross, to the way of the cross, that we would find our identity in being branches in being servants, not in the things that this world say define us, not our desires. Our desires do not define us. You get to define us, God, and we submit to that and we rejoice in it. We want to celebrate it today. I thank you for what each and every one of these women have and have gone through and are doing and have um, in their future that you have planned for them, God. I pray that you would just be refreshing them through the rest of their time here this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.